Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen, episode 38 of the Hardly Millennial Podcast, where we are young, we are dumb, and we are full of what, Matthew? Opinions, man. Opinions. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was Matthew heard across from me. He is back. Good to have you back, Matthew. I'm back. I'm stronger than ever. I'm ready to podcast, man. <gasps> Hell Let's yeah. Do it. I'm excited for today. I'm excited for today too, man. Um, as always, my name's Adam. If you haven't been able to recognize this sweet, sexy voice yet. You guys know um, I'm Matt Lynn. I hope you Come know on, that. Please. So uh, today we're, we have a special topic. Today we're going to talk about the laws of aerodynamics and aviation. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I got slightly worried for a second <laughs> there, because Adam actually does tend to change things at the last second. I do that a lot. Um, and I thought this was one of those moments <laughs> that I am grossly unprepared to talk about the laws of aerodynamics. I wonder if there was an engineer somewhere that like listened to that. They were just like, <gasps> like yes. And then all of a sudden they're like, like oh, this never happens. And then they just unsubscribe. They're like, fuck these guys. No, oh, but what, I- what we are talking about today um, is actually... It's fun because it's very important to me personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that it matters a lot to everybody, okay. quite honestly. And um, it is arguably one of the most important things that goes into what we do here on the podcast. Mm. Very interesting. What now, is if anyone has pieced this together yet, okay, you all have your answers. Write them in the comments now, okay? Don't cheat. <laughs> Don't you fucking cheat. <laughs> all right, ready? We are talking about personality, boys and girls. Personality. Personality today. Oh nobody saw gosh. that coming. Nope, nobody did. Dude, I'm so excited. You're I really, excited, really? I have a lot to say about this. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm excited that you're excited then, dude. So before we begin the personality journey, which we are definitely, it's going to be a journey, um, I do want to start with just a little side story Okay. for our, uh, mostly for our common viewers, the people who listen to us pretty much every day. Okay. Uh, a few days back, you'll remember hearing a, a small story in the beginning of a podcast uh, about my fucking tooth falling out of my face. Oh, yes. Um, so today's a few days later, and I went to the dentist to remedy said situation today. Uh-huh. And guys, it blew me away. So I sat down in the dentist chair, took all these x-rays in my mouth, right? Okay. I have a beautiful mouth, by the way. It's fantastic. Aww. He told me I should model. Um, I already have a job though. So anyway, <laughs> he took all these x-rays and he saw, you know, of course there's a huge hole in my mouth. Right. Right. And Adam, he was 0% worried. Okay. Odd. Was <laughs> not even a blink of an eye. To, he was like, oh yeah, there's a hole right there. And he kept talking to me. The only thing he wanted to talk about was I have another tooth. Okay. Um, who is sick. She's a sick tooth. Aw. Okay. And she's got, she got cavity in her. And he really wanted to fix the cavity. Okay. Okay, so I asked him. I was like, well, what about the hole? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I have a surgeon friend who can help you with the hole. It's not a big deal, right? I'll give you his number, whatever. So right there, I figured out, okay, that it's going to involve surgery. Okay. So it's not this guy in front of me who's talking to me who's going to be fixing the hole in my mouth. Right. So he's not going to make any money off of the hole being fixed in my mouth. Okay. Now, what he is going to get paid on <laughs> is fixing the, the sick tooth underneath it. Right. Okay. So he was very fascinated about that tooth. He really kept hammering home how important it is. And it got to a point, I shit you not, Adam, I looked at the man and I said, 
let me just let me just stop for a second and get it clear because I'm I don't know a lot about teeth. This is not my forte. I said, am I am to understand really that the hole in my mouth is not the biggest issue in my <laughs> mouth right now? And he was like, no. He's like, we can deal with it in a couple months, whatever. And I was like, that's fucking impossible. Right. And he tried to he tried to play it off, okay? And for a while, up until a few hours ago, I was really believed him. He was like, it's already broken. You already lost it. There's no point in really running to fix it, right? Like, let's fix right. the one that's still good, okay? Uh-huh. Now what I'm realizing, though, is that... <laughs> We had a guest with us today. Folks. We just found out my we cat just found snuck, out that Harley snuck her is with way us. into my room. All right, um, well, just don't be loud, Harley. We may have to remove her in a moment. <laughs> anyway, um, now what I'm realizing is that I think the reason the dentist didn't want to fix the hole is because uh-huh. it's not his ballpark. He's not going to get paid for that. So it's starting to make me wonder if maybe the hole in my mouth is a bigger issue mm, than what he laid on me. Gotcha. Just so there's an update. About my dental hygiene for everyone. Um, it's important. Absolutely nothing happened today. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully I don't get a crazy infection that spreads to my brain and I die. Oh my gosh. I'm Maybe very, make me a genius. I'm very lucky to say that I've had very little issues with my teeth. I think I had a root canal once. Oh, I had a root canal once a couple times, but <laughs> but I I could be wrong with that though. I I honestly don't remember. I do remember my first like major trip to the dentist when I was younger. My dad took my brother and I, and all three of us went in there pretty much convinced that Adam was going to be the one with all the teeth issues. Oh, for sure. You know? So, like, even I went in there and I was like, Thomas is going to be perfect and I'm going to be the one with the six fucking cavities. Dude, I bet Thomas had a fucked up mouth. So he's jumping around everywhere. Thomas, well, that's... Chipped teeth like crazy. Well, true, but his wasn't even... This was even before gymnastics. His brother's in the circus, guys, by the way, in case he's a circus actor. And a gymnast before that, and this was even before gymnastics or anything, and this had nothing do with chipped teeth. He Shout just, out Thomas, love you. You're probably love you. But he just happened to have a lot more cavities than I did, and I ate a lot of junk food, man. A no, lot of junk food. I don't food. believe it, Adam. <laughs> just, I haven't lived with you for a year. Just, I, I don't believe it. Just as I do now. It was, yeah, dude. And, but all of a sudden we came out and we were like, yeah, Adam, you have like one cavity, and Thomas, you have like four. Do you, do you remember that's <laughs> Do you remember the time that I brought home my mom baked us brownies? Like probably oh, five pounds gosh. of brownies. And you tried to tell me, you were like, no, Matthew, I don't like brownies. I usually don't. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Mm -hmm. But okay, I guess, you know, follow your heart. Mm -hmm. And then he got real hungry. And he was like, all right, fuck it. I'll just try a brownie. And, and he tried it. That was and it. And none of us got any brownies because Adam <laughs> ate all of them. I did. Um, he fucked them up, dude. He was super into brownies. But here's here's the thing with brownies, though, and I think why your mom's differed. <laughs> and it, because it, it was you a good brownie. <laughs> it was a good brownie. So what I think differed was like, because I have the same issue with like chocolate, with the cake and stuff, too. As you know, I'm a texture eater, right? You know, texture matters a lot you to are. me. You are. He doesn't like anything mushy. Yeah. So, and cake and brownies has always been that kind of like borderline right so even if i do eat a brownie i 
usually like it cold better than I do hot because then it's not that mushy. It's more of like you just a like hard some consistency texture. to it. Yeah. Whereas, so your mom, she had like little like hard chocolate chips and stuff. Dude, in the, the entire brownies. the entire bottom. Yeah. Was, it was like she individually laid out chocolate chips to cover the whole bottom of the pan. Yeah. And they were all standing up in the same direction and perfect. And so, they created like a chocolate coating on yeah. the bottom. Yeah. So great. that's so I think that's why I liked it because I great. it broke up that texture for me that I usually hate. But oh, it was such Dude, a good brownie. And you would think that something like that, because my mom would totally do that. She would lay out each individual. I believe chip. it. And you would think it would take like six hours. Mm-hmm. She has some crazy French voodoo, dude. Uh, She'll just throw that. them all up in the air and they'll just land perfectly. <laughs> like, nah, she does shit in like two or three minutes. It looks like it took her all day. I, I, it's fantastic. Off after some of the pastries I've had of hers, I 100% oh, believe that. I, she has really made me believe and uh-huh. taught me the concept that with enough butter, you can, in fact, make absolutely anything taste good. Oh, yeah. I, you I, just have to soak it or fry it in enough butter. I, I believe that full-heartedly. I had a – I used to be somebody <laughs> who I would put, uh, like, butter – like, if you were having, like, a bowl of mixed vegetables or something, I'd put, like, a little thing of butter on top of it and let it melt over it and everything. Because just as you said, butter just butter makes it taste everything great. better. I had uh, – they weren't really friends. They were, like, acquaintances. But uh, my they were, like – my friend's roommates, right? So I knew of them, saw them when I went over to visit my friend, but that was as far as that went. Okay. And, oh my word. <laughs> so they loved butter, like to a fault. Oh. So there was one time that, and this didn't happen to me, this happened to the friend who was living there, but it makes, it makes me gag every time I think about it, where they, his roommates were cooking in the kitchen and they're like, hey, you know, they were quote unquote eating healthier, right? They're two big people. And they they were like, hey, we uh, have some like broccoli that we steamed or broiled or whatnot. You're more than welcome to have some. If you and you're like, like, oh, gee, thanks. You know, yeah. So I'm going to go mess that up. <laughs> so my, well, my roommate was like, or my friend was like, yeah, okay, sure. I'll have, I'll have like, some Dude, of that. Dude, you see all this free broccoli? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes over and he puts some in a bowl and he goes and he bit into it. And all that came out of the broccoli was just butter. Oh, yeah. And he goes, and butter just sprayed in his mouth so much so to where he couldn't even taste the broccoli. It was like the broccoli was... It sounds like broccoli I would eat. Oh, my... Oh, I don't know. This this stuff sounded gross. (laughs) There's definitely a limit. It's the same thing with, like, cheese. Like, I'm somebody who loves cheese, and I'll put cheese on almost anything, but I have friends who are like, Adam, you don't really like cheese, you know, and they'll and they'll fucking just they'll make like macaroni and cheese and add a block of cheese on top of it and melt it in. So it's like a basically cheese soup with little tiny, you know, noodles floating to the top. Yeah, I fuck and with like, that. I'm down with that. Really? Yeah. Oh no, that's too I'm much good with for it. me. I like it. Really? Yeah, I'll eat just melted cheese. Oh my god. The only time I the only way I do not like cheese uh-huh. is at room temperature. Yeah, like I, the, not hot and not cold, just room temperature. It's like coffee. I'll take it iced and I'll take it melted, but don't give me room temperature fucking cheese. That's disgusting. Uh, yeah, I could I could see that. Well, I mean, you can even start seeing the difference in the cheese, right? It starts to get darker. It gets like a skin it gets on that, it. Yeah, it gets it's that weird skin. I mean, it's already basically a mold. You're just making the mold mold. You know what's really delicious hmm. is when because I've gone to a lot of like um, 
what I would call a kickback. I don't know if the kids still call it that. <laughs> but they're like little gatherings, little get-togethers with yes, your friends, yes. you know? Um, like a cocktail party, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and a common thing that me and my friends will do is make bean dip. We like to make like a big side of bean dip. Um, okay. So we'll put like beans and cheese and then like el pato sauce. Oh, you guys will like actually make it from here. Yeah, we make like bean dip. It's oh, really okay. fucking good. Cool. And then we don't just dip chips in it. We'll dip like all kinds of shit in it. <laughs> And um, cheese is really good, like little chi- little slices of cheese dipped in the hot bean dip. Fucking I can see that. Amaz- it kind of like melts the cheese as it's going down. It's really good. Those those things sound it's like they, really good. Those things sound like they would go together well. Oh, see, great. I'm always a person where it's like I love cheese. My nickname in high school was even Mr. Cheese, but really? it's like yeah. But I do believe Maybe in that like was a, for a different reason, Adam. No, it was definitely because I like cheese. I was that the was I was the friend where if you'd come over to my house, if I wanted a snack, I would just take a block of cheese out, like cut maybe, off a big part maybe of it. You smelled musty. No, no, that's just now. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, dude. It, uh, but I have friends who just will smother the cheese on stuff. I'm like, no, there has to be good ratio, man. There has to be good. Life ratio. Life is all about balance, bro. That's what I'm saying. All yeah, about all about balance. So listen, I have two dying questions that I can't wait to ask you. Okay. Okay. So, and this is going to totally change gears. This is going to our main conversation of the day now. Oh, okay. Well, good. Right. That's where it has There's to go. Ways. Well, you know, I assume I would get it there. <laughs> so how would you describe your personality is the first question. I want to know how, because I know how I would describe your personality. But right. how do you describe your own personality? Hmm. I'm like trying to think of how to paraphrase myself. <laughs> so let me help you out with it because I'm going to ask you questions as you go. Okay. Because okay? I have specific things I'm interested in. Okay. So do you – first of all, do you like your overall personality? Do you like being yourself? To Mo- extent, Most yes. days. Most yes. days you enjoy who you are, yes. right? So what would be – What's the one thing about your personality that you is most endearing to you that you wouldn't want to give up? Like your I, humor, you, your humility, or something like that. I mean, I the first thing that comes to my mind is is humor. I I do think I have. Uh, I I don't want to sound pompous, but I, I I do feel like I have a unique sense of humor that I got from my dad. You mm-hmm. know, that is unique to the point where, like, it's not a dry sense of humor by any means, which I, I think would, you're I hilarious. Would call you well, and I appreciate that, yeah. but like, but it's definitely rubbed people the wrong way before. You okay. know, because I could it, see it. Because it's not a typical sense of humor that you're used to somebody I think that's having. why I enjoy your humor, because I love that kind of humor. Well, good. I, I think that that's what gets it. Well, good. I'm glad you appreciate that. I can but, see what you mean. But there's uh, – but, like, another thing that I appreciate about myself, and I don't know what the word for this would be, but I'm always that person where people feel very – people open up to me very easily. People, people always feel like they can approach me and like I can meet somebody on one night who might be closed off to most people and they'll tell me their life story. I think my you, first night meeting them. The first word I think of for that would be like you're very intuitive. Um, yeah. Into other people, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. you can kind of you can kind of see where how you need to talk to them. So yeah. you're able to do it in a way that makes them very comfortable. Right. Because um, you are. You're really. You're very patient. You're good at teaching things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned that a lot about you. A lot of patience to deal with. <laughs> so, do you think you're merciful? Do you think you're a merciful person? 
it just it really just depends how much how much I feel like you're wrong in something. There are some there are some things that are very unforgivable to me. Um, so, but it always just kind of depends on the person and the position maybe that person is in. So like, I've always been somebody where when I work jobs, I usually give, uh, not on, not on purpose, but I'll usually give my bosses or managers pushback if they do something that I 100% do not agree with. Right. And so regardless whether or not they're my boss or not, you know, I'll usually give them pushback for it and be like, no, well, and I'll lose respect for them. And there's you're so very much into principle. You like you like principle yes. a lot. And there's very so there's very little mercy I'll give with things like that that I know are done on purpose. But know? what about as far as when someone says that they're wrong? Are you good? At, are you good at forgiving? Are you good at like a second chance kind of thing? Or are you more of a person where? Once that trust is broken, it's it's really difficult to rebuild. That. Oh, I'm I'm great at forgiving. If you're able to come out and be like, like, look, you know, look, I know I was behaving like this. That was wrong of me. I know this was happening and this was happening. Blah blah. I'm I'm very willing to be like, well, I'm glad you realized it, and you know, and now I just hope that because you've realized it, you move on from it and try to be a better person for it. Right. You know, I mean, I feel the same way when I'm given my own critiques by people you know it's like you say everyone deserves a second chance yeah absolutely even more so even more than second chances you know third fourth fifth sometimes and i think the reason why maybe people feel like they can open up to me a little more is because i do believe in that so it's one of those like people can will constantly come to me every time they fuck up over the same thing that they kept fucking up over and i'll and i'll keep telling them the same things i've been telling them i'll keep talking them through it and everything you know and i might get a little more stern eventually of like you have to get your shit together here but right. i will always talk to you yeah you know i will always be there for you to talk to about that stuff but you know but the you just have to be prepared that the more you do the more blunt i'm going to get with you and I think that's a quality that I have where some people, I think, either get blunt too fast or they have too much patience. Well, I was going to say, I think that's more of a patience thing mm-hmm. than a mercy thing. Mercy is more <laughs> the concept of when someone is defeated. Right. Like, you're no longer arguing with them or fighting. They, they are defeated. They've mm-hmm. accepted defeat. And you can either destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, let's say it's a boss. Okay. Right. And she admits she's wrong. She fucked us. She mm-hmm. uh, or they couldn't have to be a she. I don't know why I was saying she. Uh, they, my last boss was a she. That's why. Um, they could be saying, you know, maybe they discriminated against you. Right. And they got caught. And they're mm-hmm. wrong. And now you have the say of, I could remove this person mm-hmm. or I can give them another chance. I can keep them in the position they're in. Right. Even though I don't think they're a very good manager. Like, that would be more mercy of, I'm not going to destroy you even though I can. So I will typically show mercy if I feel like going off of your boss analogy, right? Yeah. So we can all relate to that. Yeah. So I will usually <clears throat> show mercy when it's something that's just affecting me. So if there's like some issue that just me and that boss are having personally going on, okay. You know, usually those are the things where it's like, I'll just let it slide. I could just find a new job if I wanted, blah, 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 whatever it is. Now, when it gets to a point to where I, I see those things, same things that are affecting me affecting the people i work with also and therefore now affecting everybody's workspace right you know that's when i have issues with it that's when i'm not showing mercy anymore that's when it's time to get shit done kind of the first word i think of is like a martyr 
kind of thing. Like you're willing to go down for your cause, but you don't want to see other people go down for it. Yeah, exactly. So Interesting. When, I wonder I, where that comes from. Because I, I feel like most people are actually opposite of that. I don't know. I've, that's interesting. That's that's literally just the way I've always been. If if it it's affects kind of a hero concept. Yeah, I mean, and I don't, and I don't, tr- I don't try to be that way. Right. But it's just like, but if something is directly affecting me, I know that I personally can handle it. I know that there are things that I can do to correct the situation or find ways around the situation, whatever it is. But when it starts to affect like the people I work with or the people around me, and most people don't speak up regardless whether it's work or real life. You know, right. everybody loves to bitch to each other, but nobody loves to actually go to the source and say you're fucking up. You right? usually end up with your head cut off. Right. Metaphorically. But <laughs> I'm usually the one willing to go and saying you're fucking up because I just don't care what, I don't know. I, I, maybe I have a better understanding of what can be done. Maybe I know I can talk to the person who's affecting everybody else differently like than the maybe somebody else would. Yeah. You yeah. know, I know how to, I think I know how to like approach situations in a very calm manner, especially if it's something that's super confrontational. Whereas a lot of people will be like, well, you're doing this and this and this and this, and you don't get anywhere with that. So have you found that it's kind of an obvious question. I was going to ask, have you found that the people you work with, when mm-hmm. you practice things like that, are they appreciative? But obviously they're appreciative for someone sticking up for them. I guess a better question <clears throat> to ask would be, have you ever gotten in trouble or went down for being that person? Have you ever brought up something and, say, lost your job for it or been reprimanded for it? No, because I can honestly say as far as like the job sphere sphere is concerned, every single time I've had those issues, I have been in the right. And that is and that is why I will fight those causes when I know I am in the right, especially when a boss is doing something that I know is against against policy or law. Or so you're never looking for any kind of fight. No, no, all. not at Just all. If someone mistreats somebody, you're not going to stand by and let it happen. But I am the one, I am the employee that manager, sh- uh, you know, should be a little scared of because if they're fucking up, I'm not going to just sit by and let them fuck up. I'm going to say, Hey, here's what you're doing. Change or I'll go to HR, do whatever I have to do because you know, you're fucking up. Start, start being better. You know know, what I mean? I actually made me think it's funny. I had an instance where, um, I, I kind of did that. Mm -hmm. I was in a leadership position at a job Mm -hmm. and I, I took very good care of the crew that I had. And, um, I ended up, uh, being asked to leave that job, uh-huh. um, I basically it was like quit or we're gonna fire you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I quit, and I actually had two people from my crew quit with me. Oh, cool! Um, because they saw the mistreatment that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering if anything like that ever happened to you. Um, but apparently, you don't really look for. Fi- I was I was much more aggressive. I was kind of looking right. for a dispute. Well. And I think the reason why people are maybe more drawn to me at workplaces or just in life in general when it comes to those kind of situations and the reason why I'm able to handle the things the way I do is because I also have an understanding of how people usually are, right? Right. So it goes back to like what I was talking about where everybody will bitch to each other about one person, but very rarely will somebody go to that one person and say, hey, everybody's bitching about you. Here's why. You know, so I never, 
what I do for jobs or for friends and things like that as far as talking to the managers or talking to whoever's causing the issues, I never do it expecting that anybody's going to really have my back to, with it okay. because I know there's a confrontation there that a lot of people don't want to get involved with, especially when it's in a workplace. A lot of people don't want to be the one who are known of talking shit about their boss. So you understand the fact that there's going to be some, some slack because right. of it. So you have very realistic expectations. Yeah. Where most people would be like, you didn't have my back. You understand going into it, no one's really going to want to have yeah, my back well, on this. Yeah, exactly. And and you have to understand that, you know, sometimes people just want to vent. Sometimes people right. just want to bitch, you know. And, and that's fine. But, you know, I'll usually say something or give whatever pushback, you know, for it. And I understand that some people don't want to have that kind of confrontation with people or they're afraid of what that's going to do later down the line. But I've always had the mentality with friends and people of if you don't want to like you don't like me fine you don't want to be friends with me fine i don't give a fuck like if you because i'm not somebody who wastes my time on somebody who doesn't want to waste their time on me right so even if i'm good friends with you for five years and then all of a sudden you decide for whatever reason that you don't want to be my friend anymore well that sucks but i'm not gonna fight for you You've made a decision. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm a lot the same way. I mm -hmm. think that we're kind of black sheep on that. I don't think there's a lot of people like us. I I have a term for people like us, actually. I call mm -hmm. us bur uh, bridge burners. Okay. Uh, we're just very, we're very good at burning a bridge. Mm -hmm. We don't seek to do it, but mm -hmm. should it need to be done in life, right. uh, we, we can pretty much grit our teeth and just burn a bridge and be mm -hmm. done with it. But I feel that most people... Um, are not that way. Most well, people are very distraught if if a relationship breaks or if they lose someone. Well, to am to amend that statement in regards to the bridge burning, I wouldn't say that I'm somebody who has no problem burning bridges, but if I'm on the other side of a bridge and the person across from it sets the bridge on fire, I'm not going to be fighting to put the fire out. I'll right. walk away and find another way. You I, know? Yeah. No, so, I got you. So, I got you. Yeah, you know, but uh that's just always been the kind of the mentality I have. I mean, I went through a through a breakup, you know, in October, as you know. Yes. And it was the girl who broke up with me. And I had people telling me, you know, because I obviously wasn't ready to break up. You know, I still had feelings yes, for this girl. For sure. And I had uh, <laughs> not only uh, friends of <laughs> hers, me. but friends of mine, you know, or just acquaintances of mine who are, you know, saying, well, if you still, you know, if you still like her, you know, three months down the line, would, would you like try to get back in contact with her? Or would you just, they always, they always use this word, they go, or will you just let your pride get in the way? And I always looked as like, well, it has nothing to do with pride. She doesn't want me. Why on right. earth am I going to spend my time and energy fighting for somebody who, just as I said earlier, doesn't want anything to do with me? And well, it, see, this is fascinating to me. So what if she, going back to the mercy thing, uh -huh. what if she calls one day? I know this is kind of personal. This is going to maybe touch a little note. Okay. okay? And I, I apologize for that. <laughs> it's all right. But it's we're good right. friends, me and you. So what if she called up one day and was like, you know, Adam, I'm so fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. I've been miserable for the last however many months. Right. Uh, can we just meet up for coffee? Not even asking to jump back into a relationship, but right. can we just try to rebuild again? Sure, is it I, is it too far gone or is the mercy still there for that? If if it was just a, a matter of like, hey, let's meet up and get closure yeah. or whatever it is or just talk or whatnot, I would totally do that 100%. But well, if I want to get back together. No. 
Absolutely no, not. It's just cro- once that line is once passed. Once that line is crossed, that's it. Because then how do you ever get it out of the back of your head? Well, exactly. You know what I mean? How do you I, get can, it? I can see it. Well, and that's just it. So it gets to this point. And in this particular situation, this girl broke up with me very abruptly, right? Right. So <clears throat> it gets to this point of in my head, it's okay, well, you want to be back together now. So what happens four months down the line when you change your mind? Exactly. You had, you had no How do problem you... doing it so abruptly before. How do I know that's not it's, the case now? It's almost akin to, to like someone cheating. I know cheating had nothing mm-hmm. to do with your relationship at all. Right. That was not the case in yours. But it's almost like if someone you really love cheats on you mm-hmm. and then you give them that other chance, you can show mercy, but can you ever trust them the same no, way? I don't no. believe so. It's just... Now that knowledge has been consumed, yeah. it, it, there's no longer the ignorance there. Exactly. It's, now I know, and I'm always going to remember that. And along those lines too, I think the reason why I like wouldn't date, you know, a girl again in regards to that, or wouldn't, you know, be so quick to putting out a, you know, bridge fire, right? Is, is <laughs> a metaphorical bridge fire? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is because a personality trait that I hold above a lot of the other ones is loyalty. Oh I, my God, that goes right into my next yeah, question, Adam. I, I really value loyalty. Okay, well then let me just ask the next question because okay. this is a big one. Okay. What's more important to you in a person, not just a significant other, okay. but in a human being? Loyalty or love? And that's a hard one. Because a lot of people want to make them synonyms, but break so them why, apart. So why would you not make them synonyms? Because you can love someone and not express loyalty towards them. You can be disloyal to someone you love. Oh, I guess that's true. So would you rather someone truly, deeply love you or truly, deeply be loyal to you? Loyal to me. Yeah? Yeah. I think so. Because the only thing that could stop the love is the loyalty, right? That's the underlying factor of it. Yeah, well, and a sense of loyalty, I believe, is in its own way kind of just another form of love, right? So I think you see this a lot in like long lasting marriages. You know, you could you can take any anybody who's been together for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and pinpoint at least 20 things throughout their marriage where the marriage probably should have ended, right? Right. It's, but they kept with it. And so now there's this loyalty to each other that kind of creates this new bond that is love. And regard like in in regards to those couples, there are things that now nobody can re- nobody can relate, you know, quite like they can relate to each other because they've been through so much with each other. Um, yeah, I just loyalty is always the biggest one. If and it goes back to this too. If if I am in a Let's say I'm in a fight with somebody, right? So okay. let's say there's somebody who wants to fight me, right? A stranger. Like, like fist fight? Like fist fight. Okay. Like right, a stranger gotcha, gotcha. who wants to fight me and I have a have a good friend with me, uh-huh. you know. And let's say that whatever this fight is about, whatever sparked this fight, the other guy is actually in the right. Right. Right? And any I'm the only one who thinks I'm in the right. Everybody around his friends, my friends believe that he is in the right, this stranger. You're just being a dick. Exactly. Uh So now me and this person get into a fight and uh, let's say like one of his friends jumps in or something like that. I would expect 
my friend to jump in and help me because regardless how what my friend thinks of that person, he's loyal to me. Oh my God, Adam, you are blowing my mind with all this because <laughs> I've literally had this, exactly the words you just said. Uh-huh. I have spoke those. I had a group of friends in Tucson, okay, mm-hmm. who actually recently got a little upset with me because I haven't brought them up yet on the podcast. Ooh. So here we go, guys. I'm gonna put you on blast. That's the first time I'm gonna bring you up. Love you all. Um, so... I, we used to hang out every Friday, uh-huh. and I was always the um, louder, uh, more confident. I was the asshole of the group. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was a little bit more of the asshole of the group, but I, I'm I'm a fun loving asshole. People love me. I'm a lot of fun to hang out with. Right. All that good stuff. And I used to ask them. And we would get drunk, and I would say, "Guys, you know, would you guys have my back in a fight?" Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, totally, totally." And I'd be like, "Well, what if it was my fault?" And they'd be like, "Well, what do you mean?" I say, what if I was wrong mm-hmm. and I got a fight? And they'd be like, well, it's the circumstances, blah, blah. I'd be like, okay, look, what I'm asking you guys right now is, what if I was just being an asshole and fucking picking on someone at the bar? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm just being a bully, but the dude's bigger than me. Right. Like, are you gonna help me? And Adam, they said no. Yes. Yeah, they were like, nah. And that bothers me. They were like, fuck no. They're like, we wouldn't let you get totally beat up bad. But right. no, like if you're being an asshole, you have to learn a lesson. You know what I mean? Right. And I accepted it, but I never liked that answer. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no matter what I choose to do, any choice I make when we're out becomes mm-hmm. all of our choices. Yes. And the same with you. Yeah. Any choice that you guys make is my choice too. Yes. Because I went out with you tonight. So I actually have a perfect example where this was put into practice. So there was... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So <laughs> my friend and I were out doing... I'm not going to go into detail. We were younger. Like, this was like... Young and In young. high school or right after high school. We were up to no good. Of okay. Course. And the up to no goodness caused cops to come up over. Up to no goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and it caused... Don't judge me. Oh, I and, would never. And it... So the the... The mischief we were up that night caused some cops to come over and okay. have a discussion with us, right? Gotcha. So I've always been a big advocate of don't lie to cops. You're just going to make your situation worse. Me re- too. Regardless of what it is, oh, right? No wonder we're meant for each other. Yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, me too, man. Don't so, lie to them. You're just going to fuck up anyway. Exactly. So I was with a friend, though, who I'd known for at the, like, I'd known this kid since kindergarten. So I'd known this kid for like 15 to 20 years at this point, right? Right. And he was the first one who spoke to the cops when the cops came and asked, what are you doing? And he lied to the cops. Oh. And which made our situation but worse. he didn't tell you guys the same? So you weren't all on the it same was, page? It was just me and him. He, oh, so he didn't no. tell me that he was going to do that. So, the, but the, And it didn't put us in a better situation, put us in a worse situation. But the second he lied, I was like, all right, this is our story. You know, it has to. It has, it has to. to become reality yeah. at that point. You know, whereas I know some other people might be like, "No, we were. I'm sorry, we were doing this and like, blah, blah, blah. no, fuck that. No. Okay, so that that is loyalty. Yeah, that is loyalty. So what's really funny is I agree with the whole last two or three minutes that we just said okay. about all the loyalty stuff. I am so 100% word for word on your side. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you are hanging out with someone. That's your fucking, that's your blood that night, okay? Right. You do what they do. To, I guess that there's limits. Well, but when, for the when, most part. When you're hanging out with somebody you're close in to. In public, you yeah. help them out. That's your buddy, okay? Yeah. But when I asked loyalty or love, uh-huh. 
even with all that that I agree with, I'm still pretty adamantly would choose love. Really? I would rather have someone truly, truly like love me from the bottom of their heart mm-hmm. than truly be loyal to me. Well, and that's why it, that's why it's hard for me to separate the two because I I think a reason, for example, why I'm so picky when it comes to girls, for example, or you know picking a girlfriend, I think one of those reasons is because I do look for you know that unconditional love, right? Where like regardless, that person's always going to love me, and I think when you get that from somebody, the loyalty comes with it. And um, I think vice vice versa. Interestingly, or, in my own past, mm-hmm. I have a very specific instance of a person that um, I did love uh-huh. and who loved me and did not show loyalty. Mm. Um, but yet, it didn't break the love for that person. Right. The love is still there for that person. Right. Um, but because the loyalty was broken... I'm no longer with that person, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you don't think about them all the time, right. and that like that that feeling isn't still there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I guess it kind of goes back to like in the old like king and queen days. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You would have like these marriages, these prearranged marriages, and they were marriages of loyalty, mm-hmm. right? So you had a uh, you had an alliance with the country next to you. So your mm-hmm. daughter and their son got married to strengthen the alliance, right? Right. So it was your duty. It was your, You were being loyal to do that. Mm-hmm. But then they would fall in love with a peasant woman or a peasant man. Right. And that was love. Mm-hmm. So is it okay to put everything else on hold, all your obligations, all your, your loyalties, to pursue love? Like in your opinion? <sighs> That's. I mean, it's or a. Or is gray, the loyalty more important? I mean, it's a gray area. So, like for example, if I was with somebody who I whom I unconditionally loved, you know, they could do no wrong. I would always love them no matter what. And all of a sudden, there was that instance where they were like, "Hey, I've, you're great and everything, but I'm really in love with this person." over here right right? well there's a couple things it go for one it goes back to i don't want to waste my time on anybody who doesn't want to waste their time on me you know as much as it might hurt and two if i truly unconditionally love that person i'm gonna want them to go and be with somebody who they believe they're truly in love with as much as it would hurt me that that person is if they come back like five years later nope and say hey i was wrong nope but they really love you. Doesn't matter. The at that because at that point, I may have let you go, but now you have put me in such turmoil of the fact that the person that I was in love with did not want to be with me. I I wouldn't be able to do it. And it's well, good because because I've tried it, and it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it goes back to because you know, and it and it actually ties into because loyalty is so important to me, you know. And maybe so in that case, you can't separate the two. You know, I I would unconditionally love that person. I would hate to see them go, but if they came back, well, you still broke that loyalty to me, and I that's really hard for me to forgive. What if it's not a lover? 
What if it's like a family member? What if it's what if it's your metaphorical brother? Mm-hmm. Okay, who you definitely do not have one in real life. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, just, you want to just use the just, real brother, man? Just a metaphorical <laughs> brother, and metaphorically, his name is Timmy. Okay, okay. he's Timmy. Okay, and just metaphorically, he works at an amusement park. <laughs> okay. Okay. If that was the case, yes. So, would you rather have Timmy love you? No matter mm-hmm. what, or always be loyal to you? Like, as a brother. You're never going to sleep with Timmy. Always be loyal to me. Right. It's easy. Yeah. When, like, when... It's almost like when sex isn't involved, it's yeah. super easy to make the choice, isn't it? Well, it's... To me, it's not even an intimate thing. To me, it's a family thing. I've just always been raised and taught that at least your immediate family, like, you... Regardless of what happens, you just always constantly help each other out and you're just there for each other. Regardless of how much you might maybe hate the person or it's like your family, you help each other out. So, and I would expect the same thing from my brother, which I know that's how he feels. But this kind of bothers me personally because Mm -hmm. we're coming to the conclusion here that loyalty is indeed the more important of the two. Mm -hmm. And my belief system tells me and my heart tells me that the love is the more important of the two. Right. But I'm having a very difficult time here justifying that. It seems that all of our evidence that we're putting out is Mm -hmm. leading to loyalty being, you can't even build the love. You can't even start with that until you have the loyalty. The loyalty is the stepping stones towards love. Well, you could you could argue the other that love is the stepping stone towards loyalty. You have to you have to find yourself really liking somebody or loving somebody to even get involved with them first. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. Why that, would you be loyal to someone who you didn't love to some extent? Right. So, even I if mean, it was a leader or a boss or something, yeah. like you don't emotionally love them, okay. but you love who you lo- you look up to them, you admire them. Yeah. So okay. So that's a good example of something that's very like, like. Like nonpartisan, right? To yeah. The, like the the family or the loving or the right, girlfriend right. thing or what? Non-biased. Like a boss, yeah. Yes. Non-biased, like the a boss, right? A manager. So that is somewhere where, like, big time, it's like it's a loyalty thing, right? You know, absolutely. And, and that goes to you treat your employees right. Your employees are going to do good work for you. Where loyalty really matters, you know. There, I have definitely had managers who I hate as far as personality wise. I don't like talking to them. I don't like dealing with them. But I I respect the way that they run their business, so I do good work for them. Interesting, you know. So that's where the loyalty the yeah. aspect comes in. But I definitely don't love that person. I definitely don't like that person. But if you show me that you're willing to put in the time here, well, I will put in the time for you. So they say with leaders that mm-hmm. there's only like two ways to lead, and that's well, when it when you boil it all down, what it really right. distills to is two ways to do it, and it's. Um, you can lead out of respect uh-huh. or you can lead out of fear. Yeah. So people either have to respect you enough to do what you say or they mm-hmm. have to fear the repercussions of not doing what you say. Right. Um, I mean, apart from the wordage that's used, because fear has kind of a negative connotation mm-hmm. and respect has a very positive one. Right. Try to put that aside for a minute and just the techniques. Uh-huh. What do you think gets you more bang for your buck? What, well, what do you think gets you someone to be loyal to you the quickest? Oh, r- respect. Respect? Yeah. I feel like respect takes longer. That respect has to be built. Fear gets you like immediate results. 
You're right. Immediate fear does get you immediate results, but not sustainable results. Exactly. I agree. So that's the I think the stronger one, the one Mm -hmm. where like your people would follow you off a bridge, like Bravehearts people, those kind of things, those are respect. Well, and a lot of the time, I mean, you have to think too, a lot of the times when you know, when I'm sure most people out there, when they hear leader, they automatically think of their boss or their manager at work, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, that's so, the most common one. Right. A teacher, maybe. It's yeah, cool. maybe maybe a teacher. So and we so we all know the first time that you get a job, you know, you're you're feeling everybody out, you're feeling the place out, especially feeling the manager out. You know, yeah. what, what's okay to do? What does the manager do? What do people bitch at that the manager oh, yeah. does? The first thing you want to do is you know, know your boundaries. And the thing is, you have to you have to as a manager as a leader remember that the only reason why people are going to revere you as a leader is because of how they talk about you to other people so if all of a sudden you're working a job and everybody's talking shit about the manager because the managers do not leading by example or instilling fear is a good way to have people talk shit about you well, there's not going to be respect there, and there's certainly not going to be any loyalty. Sure, you'll do what they say to an extent because in the end of the day, you're the employee, they're the boss, and they pay you. Right. But, you know, there's you, – I think that's how a lot of places, like, go under and why, like, their numbers start sucking and things like that is because there's no respect for the person that's in charge. So there is a hedge fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget the exact name of it. I'm torn between two, so I don't want to put anyone on blast. So I'm not going to say the name. Okay. But there is a hedge fund out there who has a policy mm-hmm. where in the company every year they take all of this, all of the sales that every um, stockbroker has done, mm-hmm. okay? And the bottom 10 percentile gets automatically fired every year. If you're in the bottom 10% of sales, you're removed every year. Now they hire every year too. Right, so it's right. not like their crew gets smaller, right. but if you're in the bottom 10%, you're asked to leave um, and a new person is put in. So every single year you have to fight for your right to stay in the company. Mm-hmm. Now that would be, oops, I'm shaking the table. <laughs> uh, that would be an example, correct, of leading by fear. Okay. Right. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. So that hedge fund mm-hmm. is one of the most successful in the world. Top mm-hmm. five. Top five on planet Earth. Right. So I feel like there is – and I'm, I'm really being the devil's advocate on this because right. obviously I agree that respect is the better one. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm trying to put myself on the other side just to have an interesting conversation here that I think there is some merit to the fear thing. Okay, so, but in that case, I would argue that it's actually not leading out of fear. And the reason being is because why do you, if so, you said that this is one of the most successful hedge funds in the world, right? Mm, Yes. So, and they get rid of the bottom 10% every year, right? Correct. So why do you think people fight so hard to be above that 10%? Because you make a shit ton of money, make millions of dollars in commission. But I would argue that it's more than that. I would argue that they probably offer great benefits to their employees. They probably treat their employees right. They probably, I, I would say that that <laughs> might be the caveat to the job. But I don't think anybody there is particular like, like usually places like that, people aren't coming out of it saying that's the worst job I've ever had. You know what I mean? I think this particular case. Mm-hmm. Um, the leader, the CEO, is notoriously extremely rough. 
mm. and hard to work for. Right. And um, it is totally numbers driven, totally results driven. Well, I mean. But the, the catch to it is once you get hired, you are literally a millionaire. Right. You just became a millionaire. Mm. So people will sell themselves, sell their dignity, sell their emotions. People will sell every part of themselves right. for more points in life, which is money. Well, I mean, the only thing I can say with that then is just, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule. But I mean, but as far as like, and, and there's there's managers too that get things done by leading out of fear, even just some of mundane jobs, right? But... But then you do have, mm-hmm. on a separate note, that's still involved in investing, to make mm-hmm. an example here, the the investor who is regarded as the greatest investor who's ever lived, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett, yeah. he's the Oracle of Omaha, uh-huh. he is a, a total example of leading by respect. Mm. He has gone out of his way to be ex- very good to his people. Yeah. To this day, the fucker's like in his 80s, dude. He's old as right. shit. And he just teamed up with J.P. Morgan and another dude to totally recreate the healthcare system in America. Mm. And they're starting with their companies. So their three companies, which combined employ like almost more people than Walmart, right? Um, their companies are going to give totally free healthcare to their employees. And they're going to make it work so that they don't go broke doing it. Well, and I think that would be my final argument in regards to this hedge fund you're talking about that's doing really well. So... Sure, maybe your company, maybe you're able to run a company really well out of the fear aspect. But I would argue that let's let's just say for hypothetical that this hedge fund does a billion dollars a year, sure, right? Keep it easy. So I would argue that if they led by example, that billion dollars could have been a hundred billion dollars. Right. But Which because, is what you see with Warren Buffett. Right. He's, he's done that. But because you decide to lead out of fear. You're just get a, getting a billion out of it. Now, I, right. I get it that anybody would be happy with sure, a billion the, the dollars. Sure, but the point is the results you can go will farther. always be better. You can go farther. If you go with respect. Absolutely. For sure. I agree. You know? and, I mean, I would rather follow someone I respect than someone I fear. Well, and one thing about leading out of respect is also leading by example, right? So when you have some – usually people who lead out of fear – um, and I think that's maybe the difference. Maybe you can lead out of fear, but you can still have respect for the person that's making you scared. So, and I would argue, and I would use examples like a manager who says, you have to do all of these things, but they won't do those things. They'll do it differently. They'll take shortcuts, but they'll tell all their employees don't take any shortcuts. Right. Maybe this gentleman who's leading out of fear is you know, telling everybody to do things and to be up at this high bar level but he's also at that high bar level and he just expects everybody to do exactly what he does because I can do it. Why can't you? And do you so, think it comes down to like insecurity? That On which side? The, the leadership side. So insecure leaders tend to lead more out of fear. No, I don't. I mean, insecurity can definitely be a factor of it, but I think it can be a number of things. Um, I think it can just be just personality flaws of I think there are some managers who truly believe that when they have a position of power that means that well it's their way or the highway and in some cases in a lot of cases that's true but I think the good managers are the ones that are able to kind of take a step back and say you know I'm going to do this but I think a lot of managers too I think bite off more than they can 
too. So an example of that is I've, I've run into a couple managers in my life who have had a lot of things going on outside of the job. Okay. Now, because they had things going outside of the job, it made their work performances suffer. Uh, now, yeah. when your work performance starts to suffer because of things that are happening outside the job, I guarantee if you were a leader, not a boss, if you were a leader and you led by respect and by example, your employees are more than likely going to understand and allow you to take those shortcuts when the shortcuts are needed. Right. But when you don't do that, well, now you're just the bitch manager who takes the shortcuts because I'm the manager. Exactly. And that's the it's, issue. Well, I think that <clears throat> particularly when it comes to managers, mm-hmm. I've experienced both of these, is you have the ones who think, okay, I've gotten, I've worked really, really hard mm-hmm. to get to a higher position. Right. And now I can relax because mm-hmm. I did the hard work, I got here, and now I deserve to take it easy, right. which is cutting corner, the, the all the things you just described, okay? In mm-hmm. their mind, I don't think they're bad people at all. No. They start out just like us. They're just normal motherfuckers. Right. But they think I deserve it because I earned it. Yes. Then you also have the other side of the spectrum, which is I worked really hard to get here. Now I'm here and I'm expected to work even harder. Yes. Now it's my job to really push yes. because now there's eyes watching me. Mm-hmm. So, and I've had, actually, I've had good managers who were both sides of it. Mm-hmm. I've had, I had one really good manager um, who did kind of take it more as they got there and now they deserve to be there. Right. And I was friends with this manager, actually, and they they would explain it to me totally justified, like the way I'm talking to you right now, mm-hmm. that... I was the one that didn't understand. I'll understand when I get there one mm-hmm. day because I just haven't paid my dues yet. Right. And when you pay your dues, it's okay to take it easy. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, it's phenomenal to me because it doesn't make them bad at all. Like I think of that, you think automatically, oh, that's a bad manager. Right. But I don't think that they are. I think that, I don't know, they just see it differently. They. Well, I wouldn't say so I think you can, just as you said, you can be a bad manager, but you don't have to be a bad person, right? Right. So I have definitely have had managers who were bad managers, but not bad people. But the way that I look at it when I'm at work is I don't care who you are as a person. I care who you are as a manager. I care how you conduct yourself as a manager because we're at work and those are the roles we have to play when we're at work. When when my girl when my ex broke up with me in October and you know I was crying uncontrollably I was a fucking mess mm-hmm. but I still woke up and I went to work the next day and I, That's true. and I left that shit at home and I did my work because I was at work. So when all of a sudden what's happening in your personal life gets mixed up and starts affecting the people that you work with or that work under you, that is not okay. If, if it's more than, if you're biting off more than you can chew, then you need a smaller portion and maybe you shouldn't be the manager of that place. Like, true. The, and, I, and I've been in those positions before. There was a time I was an assistant manager at a shoe store 
And it just got to this point to where I just, as, as much as I loved the pay, as I loved the money, I just was not able to put in the kind of focus into being an assistant manager that I should as somebody who's an assistant manager. Right. So I stepped down from the position. So I did not right. have those things, those, those things that everybody else had to worry about now because I of feel me. like most people wouldn't do that. Like, I, m I feel like that's the right choice. Mm -hmm. And I, I applaud you for doing that. But I feel like most people, and that's how you get these managers that aren't so yes. good, is that, well, I've made it. I can't go down. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to go backwards, right? right? Even though sometimes one step back is two steps forward. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But they just think that's not even an option. Right. Or, or people will judge me, or I'll be thought of less mm -hmm. for doing this, when really people actually respect when you do that. Right. You know what I mean? Um, it shows some humility. It shows some... Maybe not humility as much as just respect for the other people, respect mm -hmm. for the people who work for you. Right. You know, and that you knew I can't I, just right now in my life, I can't handle mm -hmm. these responsibilities. So I'm not going to pretend like I can. I'm not going to string all of these people along who work for me. Right. Just so that. I can keep my agenda going. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think the reason why I'm I'm like that also and will maybe make some of those choices that other people won't make in those kind of situations is because it really bothers me when somebody is in a in a position of being uncomfortable or mad or angry or upset or whatever it is and I know that it's a result of actions that I took. Or something that I say, if it's something that I cause, that really sticks with me. To know that, like, that, you cause someone some kind yeah, of because discomfort. I, yeah, because I always revere myself as somebody who, in general, brings people more happiness than, you know, despair. So when it gets to a point to where all of a sudden an action that I made or because of a way I'm managing something that other people are having issues because of it, I, I don't like that. So the second I see those hmm. things, I, I make changes. To, I either make changes, you know, maybe it's a small thing of just changing how I'm managing, or if it's something that I just truly think would be better if I step down from, I'll just step down from it, and hopefully they'll get somebody else who's better at it than I am, you know, in there. But that's how I usually look at those kind of situations. Except when it comes to directing. <sighs> so <laughs> He has a big old smile on his face. Okay. I got him on that one. So what's <laughs> what's funny about directing is so I I've Which done, he's done, by the way. Yeah, so I've done quite a quite a few short films throughout the years now uh -huh. of, you know, some of them really small budgets, some of them really big budgets. And one thing that friends have always told me in regards to when they see me direct is they tell me that it looks like I've become a different person. I put on a different <laughs> hat, right? And that is, but the reason why that is, is because, so first of all, I like to think that as a director, you know, I'm, I'm still, I still behave as a leader, not a boss, right? Right. So I will, I will work my ass off when I'm a director, but, but that also means I expect everybody else to work their ass off. Right. That's cool, though. And to me, hierarchies are very important to me. So, like, when I met, when I work just a regular job and I'm asked to do the jobs of, like, a shift leader, but I am not a shift leader, that bothers me. Because right. now I'm being, I'm being robbed of an incentive that I am obviously rightfully owed. Right. You know what I mean? I can see that. So 
when it comes in regards to film, which is very much a hierarchy. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, nothing you know, would work, dude. Exactly. The chain of command. So when it gets to this point of when you're a director and and there are usually spots above a director too, like a producer and things like that. Yeah, the guys with the but, money. Yeah. But this is exactly why I kind of strayed away from the film industry and I'm just trying to do it myself because I don't like having anybody above me in those situations because right. I will give pushback big time. Right. And the reason why for those types of scenarios is because at that point now I'm cre I'm trying to put a vision that's in my head onto a screen. Yes. I was hired because I had a vision that person knew I could make the vision happen. Right. So when you're doing something that I believe is not going is going to affect that vision that I was hired on to do. Well, now you're making me look like a dumbass. Well, I was just going to say, you're the one who's going to be judged in the end. Exactly. The final product lays on your shoulders. Exactly. And if you let the producers change things or you let the actors change things and it comes around, it's not so good in the end. Right. They're going to say, well, how come that happened? Mm -hmm. And you'll say, well, because that, you know, they told me to do it this way. They're going to say, why didn't you fight harder? They're going to say, we hired you to be the director so you would fight harder. So one thing that I always learned in film school when being a director <laughs> is always have an answer. So when you're approached by things like that, you always, why didn't it work out? out because of this? And you never blame other people. You right. say, even if it was somebody else's fault, you say, I didn't have the kind of talk with them I should have. And because of that, this was the result of it. Right. Now, in doing that, that person who fucked up, if they ever hear about that story, guess who they're going to have respect for? Oh, nice. And then you also... Because you didn't like throw them under the bus about exactly. it. So, and now at that point, it doesn't matter if that person likes me or not, they're going to be loyal to me. And that's where it matters to me. There are, uh, and I put myself in situations in film also to try to avoid those kind of things at all costs. And when it comes to creating art, I think that's very important. So I've, I've talked to you about this before. When I do auditions for actors, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give them a piece of the script to read or tell them to read a monologue. And then I'll just give them obscene, outrageous directions that have nothing to do with the I could be making a drama about emo people cutting their wrist or something and I'll say, "Here, read it like you're a werewolf hunter." You know, all okay. just outrageous things like that. But I don't do that to see how good of an actor they are per se. I do that to see how well do I work with this person? How well does this person take my direction? Because oh, if I got Brad Pitt in the other room, but I can't get Brad Pitt to understand the kind of direction I'm trying to get him, but this nobody over here is able to get what I'm saying spot on, I can mold that person. Right. But I can't I can't fix Brad Pitt. At the end of the day, it's all face. It's I mean yeah. the actor is literally they they are acting. That's what mm -hmm. they do. They just act. Yeah. They, they literally do whatever the director tells them to do. Yeah. That's their job. The job exactly. is just to do what the fucking director says. And if you <laughs> and if you get to this point where now you have an actor that's giving you pushback or anything, well, guess what they're doing? They're fucking with your vision. Do you like when actors um, like improv stuff in your scenes? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I don't ever mind it because you do so many takes anyway. Okay, you're like whatever. That yeah, exactly. And sometimes those are needed to have you know kind of like. Well, I've heard of some actors that are up. really good. I've heard of some actors that 
will read the script mm-hmm. and then never look at it again. Mm-hmm. They just want the gist of it, and then they act it out the way they think needs to be done. Yeah. And there's some phenoms out there that are just able to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Robin Williams was notorious for that. He was very good you know? at that, yeah. But, but that's just it, though. But Robin Williams was also somebody who understood the the atmosphere of the film, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's doing Goodwill Hunting, there was a particular story in there that did you ever see Goodwill Hunting with no, Matt Damon? So there's a story in there that Robin Williams tells Matt Damon um about uh, Matt Damon or uh, Robin Williams is like Matt Damon's psychologist, right? Or therapist in this Matt situation. Matt Damon's been through a wormhole. Dude. He's been through a wormhole. But uh, so Robin Williams <laughs> made some kind of joke about his ex-wife and how she used to like fart in the bed or something like okay. that, right? And the scene played out where he told the story. You know, it was a serious conversation that Robin Williams told that story and it ended with both uh, Matt Damon and Robin Williams' characters laughing. Well, come to find out that that story was completely improved by Robin Williams. Oh, how funny. That was a total made-up story that Robin Williams put in there, so the laughter you saw from Matt Damon was completely legit. Oh, how funny. But Robin Williams didn't make some vulgar joke about, you know, dick and asses or anything. He told a tasteful joke joke that matched his character that matched right. the atmosphere of the film so the director was probably like perfect yeah that was beautiful yeah exactly yeah, you almost appreciate that kind of stuff yeah because as the that's the problem that's the disconnect is there's very few people who can act and direct in the same film mm-hmm. okay i mean it can be done uh, mel gibson does it yeah pretty good at it but for the most part you're one or the other mm-hmm. and i think you almost have to be on the same like mental wave with that yeah. person there has to be almost a bond there of it's not just listening to your words you have to know what i mean so and that exactly and not only that but they have to want to see your vision come to life just as much as you do yeah so one thing i always try to make happen on films especially if it's a bunch of people that i don't know as i try to build camaraderie as right. much as i can and what that does is it gets people passionate about making your film so and you do that by you talk passionately about even the most mundane things or you make sure you always have an answer to a question you don't ever you don't ever want to be the director that says i don't know adam where do you want this stuff i don't know how do you want the lighting on this scene uh i don't know what i always would tell people is hey adam we're doing this scene do you want like the lighting more noir do you want to do this or how do you want to do this Give me 10 minutes. I'll walk away. 10 minutes. I will have an answer for you all the time. Okay. You know, but those are the ways that you build respect. Those are the ways that you build loyalty. And I think film is a gr- is a great example of what you get out of uh, people that are loyal to the director and don't feel, it's, you know, I agree. down it's upon. F- funny with film, though, because it's one of the few industries where – yeah, it's nice to do it that way, and mm-hmm. that works really well. But if you do get a movie that has, like, let's say three different really big A-list actors, uh-huh. and all those actors fucking hate each other. Right. Like, just as people. They just mm-hmm. can't stand each other. You can still totally make a movie. Sure. You can literally make a whole grand two-hour-long feature film. Absolutely. And not even have the actors ever be on stage with each other. Yep. 
you don't you don't even need it. Yeah, like you can shoot all the scenes separately and just edit it all together. Well, and that that's one of those funny things that <laughs> it's people real, it's crazy industry. Yeah. It's so fake. That's one of everything those, is totally fake. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of those really funny things that you don't realize happens. So yeah. it's not like they're all on a stage doing a scene. Hardly ever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So an example of that is. Oh, perfect example, the movie Beetlejuice. Okay, right? there you go. So the, it way back. So this isn't exactly an example of like actors never seeing each other per se, but the movie's called Beetlejuice. The movie's about Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Do you know how many minutes Beetlejuice is actually in that film? It's like 15 minutes. If you take, that he's actually in scenes If you in take the film? all the scenes that Beetlejuice is in, it adds up to true. like 15 to 20 minutes. That's funny. You know? That's funny. Um, I think, <laughs> I believe in the movie Oz the Great and Powerful, uh, James Franco is in that movie, obviously. And then there was another actress named Rachel Wise. And I believe there's one interaction that Franco has with Rachel Wise in the movie. So you have to, but she's in the movie a lot. Right. But you also have to remember Oh, they 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 probably only saw each other that one day that That's they it. shot that one scene yeah. and that was it. They might not even have been in the same state mm-hmm. the rest of the time. And that's why you'll see these actors and you'll be like, oh, wow, that actor's in a lot of movies. But you have to understand, they might have just filmed five, a month or two on one movie. And then they go to the next one. And then, yeah, but they're still shooting that last movie. Right. But their scenes are done. So now they're yeah. moving on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. That's how they can have... They can have real life actors that pass mm-hmm. away in the middle of shooting a movie mm-hmm. and they can fix it. Yeah. They can make it work. Like there's really almost nothing that they can't with enough money make it work. Yeah. They can make they can do it. Well, and in regards to the film industry too, and like what you were saying about like actors specifically maybe hating each other. I'm sure there's so many instances. Oh, They're just yes. people, dude. One hundred percent. But it also becomes one of those things of like we've all worked jobs with people we've hated. You still got to work with them. And you have to think that people who do this, like acting for a living, it's like at that point, it doesn't matter if like you hate the person. The point is like, hey, well, we're at work. Well, it's got to be tough. I mean, think about like the Avengers Mm -hmm. or or a big movie like that where, I mean, you have like five or six or eight A-list actors Mm -hmm. all working on the same film. So every one of those people is used to being the top dog in whatever film they're normally in. Mm -hmm. Every one of those people are accredited in different ways. I'm not specifically talking about um, Avengers anymore, but just any big feature film, right? They're all accredited. Every one of those people are millionaires. Mm -hmm. So they can all have whatever they want at any point in their life, Yeah, right? So you have so many of these grandiose personalities all working together there's got to be some major some are gonna competition. Clash. Some are going to clash. Yeah. Some there's just got to be the actors who are like I'm not doing it unless I'm the top dog. Right. And just straight out of principle. Mhm. You know what I mean? Well, and that's at that point it's the director/producer's job to keep the peace. And a leader is going to do that better than a boss is going to do that. That's going to um, be tough. There was have you heard of the director Alfred Hitchcock? Uh 
I mean, I've heard of the name, yeah, for sure. Okay, so he, b- big director, he did Psycho. I thought he was an author. No, no, no. He, he, he did the movie Psycho. Shows you how fucking, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. Literate? Literate I am, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Matthew, we'll get Jesus. you there. But, so he did a lot of big films like The Birds and Psycho back in the, the black and white days of movies. Okay. Uh, did a lot of, like... Like, they weren't the Twilight Zone, but they were very, like, Twilight Zone-esque kind of movies sometimes. Was he just the Quentin Tarantino of his day? Yeah, that's a good way to put him. Okay. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino of his own, of his day. Uh, but I remember reading there was one particular actor that he had in multiple films. Like, out of all the films, I think he was in, like, four or five of them, which is a lot, especially then. And he... And it was reported that they both actually did not like each other. This oh, actor did not like Alfred Hitchcock, and Alfred Hitchcock did not like this actor. But they both had a mutual respect for each other. They made beautiful magic together. They made beautiful magic together, and they both knew that. Oh, how funny. So they constantly worked with each other. They're like, fine, fucker. I'll do it again. And you want to know what it came down to? Loyalty. Loyalty. Well, from respect. From respect. From respect. But those are exact re- – but because of those instances there going – kind of bringing this full circle, that is why I value loyalty above love. Because love it's doesn't make argument. that kind of stuff happen. Loyalty makes that happen. And love can easily come out of being loyal to somebody. And the more True. somebody's loyal to you, I guarantee you will end up loving that person in some way, shape, or form on some kind of level. It's a very good point, sir. It's the conversation definitely changed some of my views on it as I was having it. It's very, very uh, well spoken, well explained. So to so to kind of uh, put a cap on this conversation, the first question you asked me was how I view my personality, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how do you how do uh, you view my personality? Like maybe like how do you do you view it now compared to like when you first met me, like your first impression? I'm curious. <laughs> you're giving me a giving you a really weird smile right now, Matthew. Your personality, you're a goofball. You're fun. I I think you're enjoyable to hang around with. Mm-hmm. Um, you're easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. You never feel um, like I never feel like outsmarted by you or anything. Mm-hmm. Like like put down in right. any way. You know what I mean? I always feel like we're on the same level, mm-hmm. which is cool. We think a lot the same about things, dude. Yeah. So. I was just curious because at the beginning you had said I can describe your personality, but I'm curious how you describe your personality. Oh, well, so yeah. I was just curious just how you would see, describe it. Yeah. I wanted to see what kind of person I was psychoanalyzing you. <laughs> it's interesting because people never people will always say less about what they think about themselves than what they actually think. People uh, always want to seem um, like they're different humble. than how they like are. They're more humble. humble. Yeah. I'm I'm somebody who it's like I definitely get scared talking about it cuz just as you said, you know, I don't want to come off as pompous or narcissistic or anything. But as I've told you before, one thing that's very important to me is uh is is self-health and self-improvement. Right. And the only way that I'm able to focus on any of those is by constantly self-analyzing who I am and why I am the way I am. And seeing I th- I just, what works, what doesn't work. I've told you before, I think that you're a person who has um, a very detailed image in their head. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of... Hard to get it out sometimes. Yeah, you're better with people who help you to get your 
dream out than right. who try to influence the dream. When you when you talk to people, you specifically, what I've noticed is it's not so much about how can I make this plan better. It's mm-hmm. how can I make this plan I'm telling you happen just yeah. the way it is because right. it's already how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that with me personally, I've, I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a person who can see it. Right. I'm a give me an idea and I'll jump into it and I'll start to band-aid issues as they come up. Right. And eventually we'll get something that works and we'll just keep making it better until it's great. Right. You see the end result already in your head. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to kind of just trust you. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? To be more of just the right-hand man right. and trust you. And you're good at like making it come to life. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, I think it's a lot of people too. Yeah, I do too. Um, it's it's funny you say it that way though, because one thing that happens to me when I try to like writing films or anything or any kind of story is I'll see like I won't see the whole thing beginning to end. You know, I won't think of the entire idea in its entirety like that. Like uh-huh. I'll just see like. I'll just think like, ooh, it'd be really cool if you had a scene that had this and the person said this to that person and da, da, da. And then I'll go, ooh, it'd also be cool if you had a scene like this where that happened, da, da. And both those scenes might be 100% unrelated to each other, but I won't want to give those scenes up. Right. So I'll find ways to make the story naturally go to those it's, places. It's interesting with the ooh that you did, that noise, because uh-huh. I've learned too, just as your friend, that if mm-hmm. you say something to you and it doesn't make you go ooh, Right? It's not going to happen. Just immediately go on to the next thing. Forget about whatever that was. Because you'll you'll do this thing where you'll be like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, we can see how that goes. Uh-huh. And you're never going to fucking see how it goes because you're never going to bring it up again. Uh, oh, my God, you're so right. You have right. one yeah. shot to make Adam go, ooh. Otherwise, just fucking try again. Don't even worry about that because it's not going to work. So it's funny. I do. <laughs> you're so right, though. I know. So, I've lived with you for a while. It's funny. I... <laughs> I do this. I used to be, I used to get a lot of shit because I did this on films a lot too. Uh Because usually when you're on uh, set, you have a script supervisor with you. So as you're doing each shot, usually the script supervisor will wait to get director's notes of like, oh, I like that shot, but this was like this, or this Uh was like this. But I was never detailed like that. So what I would always do is they would shoot the scene. And if it was like subpar to me, I just go, good, not great. Good, not great. Good, not great. So the script supervisor would constantly be writing down, good, not great. And then there would be a shot and I'd go, go five stars, five stars. Like, ooh, yeah. That's the ooh. But then I'll be like, let's do it five more times just, just to make case. sure. Just in case. <laughs> but yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that. As, I'm, I'm as glad. As that I'm glad that concerned. at least all this work hasn't gone Because I never want to be an asshole. I'll be like, no, that's a stupid idea. No, honestly, and I don't, it's great. And I don't always feel that way about it also. It but... saves a lot of time from being wasted. Well, and it's kind of like how we've uh, run this company so far. It's like anytime we come up with an idea, it's like it's got to tickle us, right? Oh, yeah. We have a saying where it's got to tickle. Yeah. You'll literally feel a tickle on the back of your neck. mm -hmm. It's a good idea. If it doesn't tickle, then scrap it, go with something else. I think the first tickle was um, the jingle. I'm trying to think. I feel like there was one. No, the logo. Oh, the logo was was a tickle. Yeah, I think that was the first tickle. And then we've had a uh, we've had a lot of other tickles. We plan to share those tickles with you guys <laughs> eventually. So it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, that you know? didn't come out super. 
You know, take it the way take, but okay. take it the way you want. It, it's gonna take work out, guys. Want. We have gone way over time. Today. We we have gone. I think this is the longest podcast like you and I have done. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. It's been a fun conversation. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We always appreciate our listeners. We hope you really enjoyed this conversation as much as we enjoy talking about it. I had a great time. Um, I I did too. Uh, we do have an update coming out for you guys within the next week here. We have been working on it as well as some other things and really just updating things like the YouTube channel and thumbnails and a lot of other shit. Yeah, check out the thumbnails, guys. Yeah. One, first, uh, first couple first videos. Eight. Yeah, first yeah. eight have thumbnails. Now. Adam put... It's okay. It's amazing how much time goes into these. You guys won't believe. It's probably I didn't even what, think time was 20, gonna go 25, 30 minutes a thumbnail. Yeah. Easy. Oh. And there's 37 of those motherfuckers. <laughs> so it takes a long time, guys. It's so funny. But I had, he's working on it. Let us know what you think about it. Yeah. They're I, really nice. I had no idea they would take so long to make each one, but they have. But anyways, I, I digress. We've got, we've got plenty over here. All right. Any final thoughts, Matthew? Uh, love you guys. I will be back tomorrow. It'll be me and Adam. See it here. See it here. Bye-bye. Bye.